Welcome to Bariatric Yarns, where we talk all things weight loss surgery. This season, I'm sharing my book, An Unexpected Journey, which is all about my first year of weight loss surgery, and I reflect on how much things have changed since the big day as I approach my three-year mark this December. In today's episode of Bariatric Yarns, we go into chapter three of an an unexpected journey and I cover what my experience was like pre-op, on surgery day and um, post-op and I talk about you know, what I was eating, how I was feeling, how did pre-op go for me, what were my initial consults and everything like. Um, So I hope you enjoy and uh, let's get cracking. Uh, good morning. We are bright and early today on a Saturday morning. Welcome to Bariatric Yarns. I'm Lyanne, your podcast host. I realized um, I re-recorded my intro and I don't think I actually introduced myself anywhere. So I thought I really should start doing that because no one else is going to introduce myself to myself. Um, it is a beautiful Saturday Easter morning and uh, I was awake until 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning I think last night because uh, I ate a little bit too late and I didn't feel very well. Uh, this pregnancy thing, you know, I've got all the three babies in my stomach, uh, well, you know, in my uterus. My stomach has been pushed and squashed and as we all know it's already small enough as it is. Uh, as well as my lungs, and um, like digestion slows towards the end of the day, so sometimes I just end up feeling like I could just throw up, like my food is just sitting there. It's not a nausea feeling, it's literal, like if I really tried to burp hard, I'd probably spew, and I'm not going to not say that that hasn't happened. (laughs) Um, So I recorded two episodes last week, chapter one and chapter two of an unexpected journey and uh, if you've listened to them which I just assume most people listen in order but I don't know that's just probably how I do things with my ICD um I wasn't very well I thought I had hay fever and then it turned out that actually I had COVID so I recorded the two episodes on the Saturday the first one was only like 30 minutes I think there was a few sniffles in there and then I went straight and recorded the second one. And by the end of it, things had just kind of gone majorly downhill. There was a lot of sniffing. Uh, I had to pause and blow my nose a few times. Um, so I, I had to go back and edit some of that out. But I didn't edit it all out because I actually was talking throughout the episode about how... I was like, oh, this is my hay fever. I, def- I don't have COVID because I've been testing. It's negative. And I thought that was really funny. So I had to, I left some in as a bit of a laugh. Um, But I do apologize if you had to listen to my sniffles uh, in that last, last episode in particular, episode two, I think was the worst. And I, um, I shared Amy and Dennis's stories and I felt really bad about my narration of that because like I was also, it seemed having trouble reading but even when I wasn't like sniffling and stuff, I obviously was having trouble breathing and, and things at times. So 
I felt, I feel a lot better. Um, but hearing myself on here, I can tell I still don't sound a hundred percent right. Um, in the last couple of days, my energy has come back. So yesterday I edited, um, episode one and two, I, uh, had a play around with the Barrett Yarns logo and, uh, did a couple of posts on the page and I felt really productive, which was nice because, um, because I have a high risk pregnancy, my medical team didn't want any additional stress on me if I got COVID. So that meant I wasn't allowed to work. And for, for like the most part, I didn't want to anyway, because I didn't feel great. But when I start, like it got to a point where I was struggling to go to sleep at night because I just hadn't used my brain and I was so over watching TV but I also was like kind of too tired to read. It was just this weird in between. Um, and, I, and I did make me realize that I have not been doing any new learning lately. Like I used to always be listening to like a podcast series, reading a book, listening to an audio book. There was always something keeping my mind taking over and I haven't been doing anything like that. So uh, as part of my own personal well-being, I know I need to jump back on that bandwagon a lot of it went downhill when I got pregnant because in the first few months I just had the most like a deadly nausea let's call it that um I've never been put so flat on my ass in my life and uh it was a horrible horrible first three months um to the point that I ended up on medication for it which is which isn't something that I would have ever thought that I would need to do uh but if I thought nausea for one baby was bad well try having three times the hormones because it was bloody horrible um so I am 20 I'm 22 weeks nearly 23 weeks so it's getting pretty exciting around here um today's chapter is chapter three. It's about consult pre-op surgery day and post-op short term. And like, I just want to point out, I'm so lazy that I don't read these chapters before I read them out. And I wrote them like 18 months ago. So, um, we're both getting a surprise as I read. And sometimes I may not have written things in a way that is easy to speak them. So I get a little bit tongue-tied. Um, but, you know, this isn't a real audiobook. This is like a podcast where I'm reading out stuff that I wrote 18 months ago. So we can all deal with that, can't we? Can't we, guys? It's definitely different recording by myself. Like, um, I kind of got this idea, right, from listening to uh, David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, because he, it's like the best audiobook because he records his audiobook, but somebody else um, is speaking. He's in the room while they record it. And then they pause and they like discuss stuff more in depth, which I loved. Like it was the first audiobook like that that I'd ever, it was like an audiobook slash podcast. And, and you know, you just wouldn't ever get that level of detail in a book and you can't because they can't go on forever and ever. But it was just so cool hearing how some things panned out. Um, and I remember when I listened to that and then after I wrote this, I was like, oh, 
Should we record it as a podcast, actually? It'll be really interesting. Um, well, if you've come back for chapter three, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, I did say that I was like going to reflect on the chapters as I go. I think the first few chapters are, are quite building, so there it's a lot of context. So there isn't a huge amount of reflection in the in the first um, few chapters. To be honest, I haven't even looked at. I don't even know how many chapters there are. I don't even know how many episodes I'm getting out of this book. I tell you, um, I'm just gonna just leave. I'm just going with the flow with this. So. Uh, without ado, let's start chapter three of An Unexpected Journey, Consult Pre-Op Surgery Day and Post-Op Short Term. Very clever title there, Lyanne. Really outdid yourself. This is my experience of pre-op diet, surgery day and the first month or so of post-op. Instagram post, 31 October 2020. I've had food guilt literally my whole life. I can remember it from when I was in primary school. I've always felt guilty for eating things, from food itself or the amount. It's began as comments from adults around me and eventually I had my own permanent critic in my brain ready to make me feel bad for anything food related. There's always been an emotional cost to what and how I have eaten in the past whether I've realised it consciously or now. Initial consult, part one. I travelled to Auckland this week and met with my surgeon for the first time. I was nervous as fuck and lucky my husband was with me to help carve my nerves, carve? calm my nerves in the waiting room. We got to see Dr. Richard Barber from the big ward, so that was our country bumpkin highlight of the day. In the waiting room, there was a man who was six weeks post-op wanting to see the nutritionist, and two women who were having their first six-month checkup. I've seen too many before and afters because, man, I was so curious to see what they'd look like before on the way to the appointment. Part two. Dr. Grant Beban came out and greeted us. He's a tall guy and very welcoming. He asked me how he could help me. I told him, number one, I have sleep apnea and have a CPAP. I have used a CPAP successfully for four years and I'm one million hundred thousand percent over it now. Number two, I want to be fitter and faster in sports. And number three, I'm staring 30 in the eye and I don't want to spend another 10 years focused on my body and health in the way it has been. It's taken so much of my energy and time. He was awesome. We had some really good conversations and I was super glad I'd prepared for everything. Dr. Beban is satisfied I meet all the criteria. Some weighed, my height is measured, my puku, my tummy. Checked out and we start to talk dates. I've got a small time frame and wanted to do it as soon as possible because I'm off to Bali for my 30th at the end of January and I need eight weeks to recover before I can get to training for rugby. Preseason starts in February. The surgery is already putting me off my training schedule, so the sooner the better. Part 3. The 9th of December 2019, my surgery date. I've opted to get the vertical gastric sleeve. Depending on health issues and different factors, 
Some people are not given the option to choose between the gastric sleeve or a bypass, but luckily for me, I got a choice. I chose to get the VSG because, to me, it seemed the least invasive. That may not even be medically true, but it's my perception. I wanted to still be able to absorb nutrients and calories the way I do now, and it doesn't faze me that the bypass may achieve more weight loss because I'm not concerned with weighing a certain amount. First and foremost, I just want to weigh less enough to ditch my CPAP. Now, the photo for that is of me outside the consult room. I haven't actually seen that photo in so long. Well, pre-op. We're still on Instagram post here. Pre-op appointments. Next week, I have a phone call with the nutritionist. And the following week, the psychologist. Spout wrong. (laughs) This has extra cost, approximately $400. I was given a book from the clinic that has all of the costs listed, including pre-op and post-op. This is one thing I've read others haven't had as much transparency over. So I'm glad that they've been up front with that. I had to do pre-op for four weeks leading up to surgery. Really rips my undies when I hear people have done less than that, like one to three weeks. But I feel better when I hear about the battlers who've done four to eight weeks. In New Zealand, most people are put on OptiFast for their pre-op diet. That consists of three meal replacements from the range a day plus two cups of vegetables off their approved list. It's recently been pointed out to me that it says two cups of vegetables minimum. So there is a potential to add more veggies, but I'd talk to a dietitian before you make that leap. The veggies were a lifesaver after the shakes and bars all day. I started out having them at lunch and then eventually ended up having one cup at lunch and one at dinner because that made my brain feel better. I did pre-up in November and early December and that included a few Christmas events which was super hard. 11th of November 2019, day one on pre-up diet. Grateful for the two cups of veg allowance. Delicious. 6.21pm, I'm still hungry. Looks like I'm going to improve my sleep routine in the next month by going to bed early to avoid food. It needed to happen, though it's a win-win. What is it about knowing you can't eat something else that makes you hungrier? Day 2 pre-op. Day 2 pre-op come at me. I went to bed at 9pm last night, unheard of for me, but a win-win. Less time to be hungry and more time to sleep. Every night I go to sleep now, I put my CPAP on and think to myself, I won't be doing this anymore soon. It's not a guarantee that I won't need my CPAP anymore, but I'm just going to believe that weight loss will be the end of it for me because I'm so done with it. Can't entertain the idea of being a lifer. I lift off shakes, strawberry, vanilla or chocolate and the chocolate and berry bars. The soups, from my perspective, were a big waste of money, and I didn't mind the puddings, lemon or chocolate, for a change every now and again. Have a tip for purchasing the products in Chapter 6, my top tips. I lost 8 kgs in OptiFast from 140.8 kilos to 132. The aim of the diet is to get you into ketosis. When you're in ketosis, your body burns the glycogen carbs stored in your liver and fat from around it so your liver size is reduced. The point of this is to make surgery easier as I have to lift up your liver to perform weight loss surgery and the smaller the liver the better. It means less keyholes required to hold up your liver and it also means if you have a hernia then they can fix that while they're in there. It's a particular type of hernia 
And I did write ad content here in my book, but I obviously did not go back to that. <laughs> I did okay at OptiFast. No surprise I didn't stick to it 100%, particularly allowing myself meat and salad after the sharting incident. But I also found the week before surgery extremely hard because I was nervous and all I wanted to do was overeat. I ended up going to sleep earlier a good couple of hours because that meant I couldn't spend the time thinking about food. Putting on my CPAP each night reminded me why I was doing this and it helped keep me focused on the end of the four weeks. Sidebar, I don't think I've mentioned the shouting incident yet, so that's something you've got to look forward to. <laughs> Back to Instagram post, day five, pre-op diet. When you're hungry and over it, hashtag please send food. <laughs> Honestly thought I understa- understated. No, here we go. I need to read this first because I can't understand my own writing. Ah, okay, I'm just going to read it and see if this makes sense. Honestly, thought I understated why we have to do the pre-op diet, but it really makes me scratch my head after being unable to stick to a diet my whole life. Oh, understood. It should have been understood. (laughs) After not being able to stick to a diet my whole life, being expected to stick to one this strict for a period of time. Yes, I get it. It's about making your surgery easier 100% something I agree with but the concept of dieting to get weight loss surgery really amuses me I was told that the first four days would be the hardest and then I'd stop feeling hungry but to be honest the hunger never went away for me whether it was more mental than physical though was a question I'm unsure of what the answer is on day seven of 28 of the pre-op diet I had something terrible happen to me oh On day 7 of 28 of the pre-op diet, I had something terrible happen to me. After living off liquid in bars for so long, I went to fart, but was sadly mistaken and had an accident standing at the kitchen bench making a salad. We were camping for family Christmas and in a cabin and I had to run to the bathroom. The worst part was I had brand new linen shorts on and mesh kind of not mesh but it's the only way I know how to describe it style undies so there was nothing to catch the liquid Uh, I called for my husband to come to the bathroom and asked him to bring me some shorts and he just looked down at the floor and couldn't believe it I cleaned myself up and went straight to the local award-winning butcher brought some sausages that I ate at our shared lunch with rocket pear walnut and balsamic salad that was not on my OptiFast menu but that day There was just no fucks given. I got pretty inventive with my vegetables. A couple of my faves were thinly sliced tomatoes with a thin ring of red onion on top and fresh basil and a drizzle of balsamic glaze and sometimes a tiny drizzle of garlic infused oil. Then I loved asparagus. I would steam it with garlic or pan fry and drizzle some balsamic glaze over it. I don't think balsamic glaze was approved, but adding little things like that was the only way I could get through. Also, had been t- have been told now that garlic isn't even on the list for vegetables, but it's a bit late. I struggled mentally when I would eat something not on the pre-op diet and then feel like crap because that was my chance at a new life and I couldn't just stick to something for four weeks. I feel like I was wasting all of this money because I couldn't even stick to the diet. But at the end of the day, I couldn't stick to any other diet properly in my life. So I don't know why I thought this would be different. Still managed to lose 8 kilos and didn't require any extra laparoscopic holes to help hold up my liver. 
I wasn't told what to expect to lose, so it wasn't until the anaesthetist anaesthetist called and asked a few days before surgery how much I'd lost and said that I'd done really well, that I could breathe and not hate myself for potentially not losing enough because I wasn't 100% with the diet. For anyone reading this, please remember this was my experience. I'm not saying that it's okay to go off the diet or not stick to it as well. And I wouldn't advocate to do anything other than your dietitian and team's advice. For those that did do that do do well on diets, and then would usually regain after, and who smashed OptiFast, I hear they can sometimes wonder if they really need surgery when they manage to lose a decent amount on OptiFast. And I can imagine that would be a bit of a mindfuck. But for the friend of mine that mentioned this, his exact words were, then I remembered... I know I can lose weight, but I always gain it back, and that's why I'm here. I was regularly exercising pre-op, including walking a few days a week. Being on pre-op didn't affect that much, but I can imagine if I was doing higher intensity activity, I may have had a bit more awareness of how I was feeling and and my water intake. My review of the opportunity fast diet pre-op was that it was quite horrible, And I don't know why anyone would choose to follow it when they aren't medically instructed to do so before a surgery or for a medical reason. My skin did improve over this time, which isn't surprising when cutting out a whole lot of stuff and giving the internal organs less of a load. I was warned that pre-op diet was one of the hardest parts about weight loss surgery and I can attest to the fact that for me it was. Surgery day and hospitals day. Surgery could be any time of the day. Mine was scheduled for the last 3pm slot to give me time to drive down to Whangarei. Sorry. Food from last night is still repeating on me. Um, Yes, so mine was scheduled for the last 3pm slot to give me time to drive down from Whangarei. It was a hard day. I dropped my children off to school and had a feeling of dread. This could be the last time I ever see them. What if I die on the table doing something so utterly selfish? This plagued me for the rest of the day. On the drive down... Sorry, my phone is ringing. On the drive down and on arrival to the hospital, I had butterflies in my tummy from the time we'd left until the time I was under the general anaesthetic. I was waiting for my period to arrive on surgery day, which was annoying. I arrived at 12.30pm and was sitting in with the nurse around 1pm. I met the anaesthetist and the surgeon and because they had finished another surgery early, ended up going in at around 2pm instead of 3pm. I was put under a warming blanket. It's like an airbed filled with warm air to raise my temperature and then they asked if I'd like to walk into the surgical room because it wasn't far away. I walked in, sat on the bed while they hooked me up to pads, lay down and began the countdown. (sighs) Hooked me up to pads, I don't think that's quite like the accurate term. All those things, (laughs) all those things they used to monitor you. Um, The next thing I remember is waking up in recovery. I had a very sore upper tummy area under my ribs. This is what they call gas pains. When you have the surgery, they blow you up with gas so you have more space to work inside. The gas can be painful when it's trapped in your body 
and can take some time to leave. People seem to experience the pain where I did under my ribs or in their shoulders. I've been in surgery. I had been in surgery for a whopping 40 minutes and spent around three hours in recovery. My surgeon had called my husband straight after surgery was done and let him know that everything went well and I was heading off to recovery. He was waiting for me in the room when I was wheeled back in, my husband that is. I remember waking in recovery area and pulling my gown up constantly. <laughs> the poor nurses had to keep pulling it down. I hit the morphine button as much as I, I could to help me. I was able to keep my fluids down, but I was very thirsty and it was frustrating to not be able to drink more. I found it hard to stay awake and would fall asleep while talking to my husband. I had nausea, which they gave me anti-nausea medication for and it helped. I wrote a post about how I was doing the night of my surgery and nearly fell asleep three times while writing it. It's littered with spelling mistakes and random full stops, but this is what I was trying to say. 9th of December 2019 Surgery done. This is me under the warming blanket before going in. They were running ahead of schedule, so I hit theatre an hour early. Lots of pain and recovery, so I've been hitting the morphine button most of the day. For me, it's sitting up below my boobs and ribs. Almost feels like the pain I get when my gallbladder plays up. Pretty sure it's gas, and it's been slowly improving over the day. Keeping fluids down well. Wish I could drink more. I'm so thirsty. Have been up and done a couple of walks, moving really well, have been sleeping a lot, hard to stay awake for long stretches. Just had anti-nausea meds plus anticoagulant due to a hereditary blood clotting tendency. Almost fell asleep three times while writing this. Have been on my phone, I have not been on my phone since pre-op. I, and that's the end of that Instagram post. <coughs> I got up and walked around the ward every hour as soon as I could post-op. My husband had to help me the first few times because I felt light-headed. It was a slow walk. The walking is meant to help with the recovery and getting the gas to leave the body. It was nice to be able to have a shower, but I did feel a bit light-headed at times. So thankfully, they had a seat in there if you wanted to sit down for a spell. I took some really nice bathroom products with me so I could smell delicious things when I showered and some new face creams. The first night I had to sleep with these things on my calves. <laughs> I have in brackets, find real term, which I obviously haven't done. They would expand every now and again and make a hua of noise. They woke me up throughout the night. They are to help with circulation in your legs. <laughs> I've also got fact check written there. Haven't done that. It was hard when my husband left that night. I wish he could have stayed. Luckily, he was staying in Auckland with family while I was there. Originally, I'd told him he could just drop me off and pick me up, but closer to surgery date, I changed my mind. And I thank the stars that I did because it would have been much harder without him. I had the best nurses. One of them, Manju, set a goal for me when she first started her shift, and that was pain management because I was in a lot of gas pain. On day three, I started to feel what I thought was hunger, but I still don't know if there was actually just my tummy healing or getting used to its new layout. I wasn't allowed to go home until I had done my first poo, which was, which after having a baby and going through the first poo after birth poo experience, I can say was relatively the same. 
because you have had hardly any food or water, the first poo is quite hard and a bit of a mission to get out. You can you also can't tense your stomach to help push. Not that you should anyway. So the kind so you kind of have to let it do its own thing. This might be the only time most people experience poo problems in the weight loss surgery journey. I got to go home on day three after two nights in hospital. The three-hour drive was a bit rough. I spent most of it laid back, but I was sprightly enough to get the husband to stop at Freedom Furniture because there was a full-length mirror. I wanted to... Oh, sorry. I wanted to get help. I wanted to get to help me take photos on my journey. I was stoked with Mercy Ascot Hospital. All of the nursing staff, my surgical team, and my surgeon, Dr. Grant Beban. Post-op. Going home was welcomed after being away from my children for a few days. The first six days were the hardest for me, even though on day three I felt my best. I soon felt pretty crap when I was home, and the new challenges of recovering of a recovering small tummy and not being able to self-soothe with food soon emerged. It didn't work for two weeks following surgery. The advice given was to take two weeks off to heal and get used to the new structure of eating and drinking. Sip water all day, but stop liquid 30 minutes before meals. Make your meal last 20 minutes and then no liquid 30 minutes after your meal. This was all I had to focus on. I brought some pre-made purees and they were all disgusting, so I tried to make my own. Oh, the worst mistake I ever made, except for thinking that fart was just a fart, (laughs) was deciding to put tuna in a blender. It came out as a tuna smoothie. And the worst thing is I still had a teaspoon of it. Uh, To this day, even as I recall writing this, it makes me want to vomit. And as as I read this, it makes me want to vomit. Somebody reminded me the other day as well, it wasn't just tuna, it was uh, tuna and cottage cheese. Being at home while the kids were at school and my husband at work was very boring. There was a lot of Netflix and Instagramming going on. Did a poll on my story to see how long people felt like ass for after surgery and the answers ranged from 6 to 14 days. So I told myself it would be 14 days and I was pleasantly surprised on day 7 when I felt human again. A friend came and took me for a car ride on day 6 to a new farm. It was so nice to see someone and get out of the house, but I felt horrendously ill the whole time. I was thankful to get in the car and head home. There was one moment I vividly remember. Instagram post, 12 December 2019. My friend just took me for a ride and a walk around some of her new farm property. So good to get out of the house, such a beautiful spot. I love the countryside so much. Thank you for the replies on my story. I asked how long it takes for some people to feel a semblance of normal again and had few people say 10 days for them. Bring on the next week. Hopefully I still don't feel like I want to sw- I've want swallowed a frog. <clears throat> the early days are so easy to be solely focused on weight loss surgery. Everyone is talking to you about it and it's all you want to talk about. I spent so much time on Instagram trying to feel like I belong to being part of a weight loss of the weight loss surgery community. I needed to know that I was going what I was going through was normal because I didn't have any real life weight loss surgery buddies then. Food in the first couple of months. It's important to note that everyone should go off their own team's advice. This was the advice given to me by my team. 
who had my full medical history and $24,000 of my money. I listened to them first and foremost and anyone else going through the process should do the same. If you aren't sure of your team's advice then you probably shouldn't have picked them in the first place. (laughs) Irrelevant for public surgery, sorry I know. The first 10 days I was on purees. At this point I decided to take a two day shortcut and go on to soft foods. I, so it was meant to be 12 days. I tried scrambled eggs and was horrified to find I didn't like them as much. And my tummy didn't like them at all. Eggs were one of my staples pre-op. One of the post-op changes from surgery is that the metabolic changes also change your taste buds. And that can result in not liking food that you liked before or liking new things. I found for the first time... I found for the first few months that water tasted weird and I ended up putting a dash of juice or lemon into my water to make myself be able to drink it. I'd have three meals and two protein shakes a day, or that was the aim. (laughs) I put meals in quotation marks there, just like not, you know, meals. I didn't like any of the protein powder I already had and had to buy all new stuff to try. Because your taste buds can change after surgery, it's really interesting to see what you do and don't like. I was wondering if I'd end up liking coriander, my arch nemesis in life, but have tested that since and know I still hate the stuff. Protein shakes took a couple of hours to get through at times, and you can imagine that's not really the most of delicious of things. Two hour old protein shake. I was very focused on trying to get as much protein in as I could from the beginning to retain my muscle mass. That was a big deal to me because my strength was something that I felt strongly identified me. I had a check-in with my dietitian around day 8 or so and was given the all clear to progress to soft foods at the 2 week mark. Couldn't quite last 14 days and made it to 12 before I tried something soft. Oh, sorry previously I said... 10 and 12 instead of 12 and 14. I don't even know which one of those is true. Instagram post 29 December 2019. I'm nearly three weeks post-op and even though I feel 100% better than the first week, I still find myself wondering why the fuck I made this choice at times. It's usually when I'm thinking about food and wanting to eat a full meal and it pisses me off that I can't. It doesn't take long to remember all the reasons why I'm here and I 1000% know they shit all over the want to feel full or satisfied, as I've known it for the last 29 years and 11 months. Thought post-op nothing but gold quality standard food would pass through these lips, but that hasn't been the case at all. The battle between wanting to hit my nutrient targets versus still only being able to eat certain foods and slowly hating on all of them, versus wanting to feel normal and also battling emotional eating habits is real. I'm looking forward to being able to eat anything again and resume cooking duties for the family so we're all on the same food, plus getting back into my normal exercise routine. It's not worrying me. I think this is normal. Feel the feelings and keep going. Four weeks post-op, I started to feel starving all the time. It was an actual sore tummy that I had only ever experienced when I was pregnant. I talked to the dietitian and she said that we store hormones in our fat and that when we lose the fat and release the hormones back into our bloodstream, they need to be processed by our livers again. This could be why I was experiencing such pains and it made sense as my hormones would have been up the wazoo when I was pregnant as well. Luckily, after a couple of weeks it passed, I was so worried it wouldn't because it was quite horrible. 
March 12, 2020. Hangry. <laughs> Just updating on the hunger pains I had post-surgery. I had like starving to death pains after surgery every couple of hours and only eating helped get rid of them. Most of the time I just drank more water and had a sore tummy, but happy to say they've gone away. I'm not getting to sore starving point anymore between meals. I think it was hormonal because it was the same kind of pain and hunger I felt when I was pregnant. And my body must be starting to settle down a bit. Anyway, just sharing in case someone else goes through the same thing. I struggled with spicy food for the first six to eight months. It just didn't agree with me. And I'd get a weird sore tummy feeling. But I can report at 12 months, I can pretty much eat anything now. Drinking and eating 30 minutes apart. December 28, 2019, Instagram post. Oh my life, it's nearly been three weeks post-op and I haven't had a throwing up experience until this morning. The family had McDonald's for breakfast and I decided I could eat the sausage and egg from a McMuffin. No bread though. I used my timer, had 60 seconds between swallowing a bite and having the next one, but on reflection, I should have had smaller bites because it only took me eight minutes. I ate most of it and then I had a sore chest because I knew I had had too much. Fast forward 20 minutes or so and we're about to leave for Auckland and I remember I need to take my vitamins and omeprazole, so I had a big sw swig of water and swallowed. Cue the worst chest pain ever and eventually throwing up the water, plus a bit more, over the span of 20 minutes, clutching my chest and hugging the toilet bowl. I can only imagine it was my stomach spasming at the amount of food and liquid I was trying to get in, but the way the pain came was like it was contractions. It felt okay, then bam, in pain with what I can only describe as a twisted chest. It was horrible. And a good reminder to have small bites of food and wait 30 minutes for water. Not the most fun share, but I want to remember this when I look back. And that is the end of um, chapter three. I have a little note here, supplements, but it looks like I never went back and filled any in. So I can try and off the fly that one. Um, so for me... I was on BN Multi, and to begin with, I couldn't, um, I got the chews to start with, because they ha also have calcium in them, uh, and it just meant, you know, taking, I think, two of those a day, but um, I fucking hated them, and I thought they were disgusting, so I got the tablets instead, which also meant I had to supplement with, with calcium, um, but eventually, like it's been, uh, uh, you know, two and a half years now, I accidentally ordered a three-month subscription of the tablets again at one point, and I thought, oh, well, I need I need to be taking something. So I, I just forced myself to chew one a day, and by the end of the month, I actually liked them, so I kept going on the BN Multi. Um, since I've been pregnant, uh, I was switched over to Alivit with iodine. Um <clears throat> And I will remain on that up until... I give birth and then I'll switch over to another one that has to have something special in it for when I'm breastfeeding, which I will probably talk about some other time soon. So um, my reflections, I'm just, as I was reading through that, you know, I was talking about feeling hungry, you know, three days after post-op and they say for like some people hunger doesn't come back for like a year or something. I don't know. I don't know how that works for everyone. I definitely, I said it, I said it in it that I wasn't sure, you know, if it was just 
me struggling with the mental side of things. Well, I can tell you now in, on, in hindsight, on reflection, I know that it was. I definitely, <clears throat> I, I think there, there is the element for me, I definitely get this hormonal hunger, which is weird because I've had it again during this pregnancy where, <sighs> although, yeah, it's like my body's just wanting, wanting food and, and now, yeah, probably knowing a little bit more around, you know, intuitive eating and trusting my body, I think sometimes it's not, it's not just like my body just wants food because my hormones are fucked up. It's actually like my body trying to guide me to eat more when I need to. Um, and uh, I'm not a scientist, but I, and I am not a doctor or any type of specialist. So I could imagine when you, you do restrict right early on as well there must be an element for some people of their body wanting them to eat or not I don't know it wouldn't surprise me if that that was in there but I definitely before surgery I think I've mentioned before I thought you know like I was eating totally fine before surgery and I just couldn't lose the weight and if I continue to eat the same as I did before surgery and have surgery I would be sweet it was what I honestly believed but yeah, realizing afterwards that just how much, um, you know, my relationship with food wasn't wasn't great, and that whole diet cycle um, was really embedded into my brain. Um, I I can hundred percent say now that most I definitely wasn't experiencing proper physical hunger. It was it was my brain needing me to eat because that's how I'd coped for such a long time with the world <laughs> not just like anything but that was my coping mechanism was to eat and plan what I was eating and overeat and feel full and focus on the fact that I felt full um rather than having to feel any other kind of emotion so that's probably <clears throat> one of my biggest reflections on on that whole experience um, I did really freak out about maybe dying when I had surgery because I'd never had a significant surgery before, like a big one, <sighs> or actually any. I hadn't had any except for getting knocked out and take a tooth taken out in Starship when I was five. Um, so it was a real fear of mine that I might die. Um, you know, it might be one of those people that don't wake up from anesthetic. And it was all because, you know, at the time I felt like I was just being selfish because I wanted to lose weight. And it, and, um, obviously that didn't happen, but my kids were scared as well because they hadn't been around anyone who'd had surgery before. They didn't really know what that meant. So I'm glad, um, obviously that everything worked out, but that is a valid fear that a lot of parents, or even just, even if you don't have kids, if you don't, if you if you're not experienced with surgery and not sure how your body's going to take it, then hundred percent think you know that could be a thing for people. <clears throat> I was also just going to comment on the drinking and eating the thirty minutes. So, like I found um, earlier on, I don't know about when, maybe after like twelve months, I can definitely drink up until I eat now so uh, I might be sipping on something until I eat as soon as I eat after that I can't drink anymore so when I started drinking alcohol again like I knew um if I was uh, I shouldn't be teaching at this but oh wow this is how it worked for me I could like drink up until I needed to 
eat and then that would be it. I wouldn't be able to drink for ages after. Um, so I, yeah, I'd have to just plan kind of around that depending on, on what I was doing. Um, uh, because most of the time, like my, my old strategy would be to eat while I was drinking kind of continuously just to take away the alcohol effects. And I, I enjoy food more than I do alcohol. So if I'm like at an event where there's like real good food, I will pick at the food more than I am interested in drinking the alcohol. Um, that definitely hasn't changed. <laughs> if I had to pick, I always pick food over alcohol. I'd take a nice dinner out over like cocktails any time of the freaking year. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that now. Um, what else? Let me just have a scroll through what we talked about here. I think, yeah, overall I had a pretty short turnaround. So it was like, I mean, I decided to get surgery in November. No, in October. Had my consult with Grant in November, booked him for December and had surgery. And um, so it was all really quick. So the pre-op build-up wasn't really too much for me. Um which was nice. I, I can't imagine what if, what it's like having to wait for, you know, not even have a surgery date in sight like um, Dennessy shared. Um, but what I liked about her story is just how much support and how much pre-op um, guidance and stuff they get and how, like I remember I did a podcast episode with her in season one and she talked about how, you know, they had people who'd had surgery come in and speak to them um, in their seminars and stuff like that. And I can imagine it that going through that would feel, you'd feel impatient and you're like, I just, I just want the surgery. But I think it must really prepare them potentially a lot better than it does for us uh, people who go private and can just be like, yeah, this is when I want it and I want it now because they've got all this time to get used to the information and really understand what the changes are going to be and what the barriers and what the challenges and all that kind of stuff. And then also like have a bit of a community from the beginning with, with people that they're meeting. Um, I think the social aspect of going public um, is definitely something that you miss out on. Well, I feel like I missed out on going private might be different at some private practices. Maybe they do that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, we should probably wrap this up. What have I got on for the rest of the day? Oh, 50 minutes. Uh, I am heading off to, um, pick up a click and collect. So this is my first day out of isolation. Been in isolation for basically two weeks. Uh, click and collect. I'm going to acupuncture. I'm picking up some baking, uh, that I brought from someone to just treat us for Easter because we we were wanting to go away and do stuff but haven't been able to because we've been unwell and ISO'd. Um, so that's my afternoon and I'm hoping to record some more chapters. So chapter four is uh, what to expect. And I don't know what I've written in there, so it's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> So thank you uh, for tuning in today. That was chapter three, uh, all about pre-op, 
uh, surgery day and post-op. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again on the next episode. As always, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bariatric Yarns. We'd love to hear from you over on our Instagram at Bariatric Yarns. And our final reminders of today, take care of yourself, listen to your medical specialist and be respectful of others in the weight loss surgery community.